Guys, welcome back to another ESL podcast. And of course, I am your host, Arsenio. If this is the first time you're watching or listening, thank you so much. And today, oh yeah, I'm very, very grateful. You know, it was just one of those blink of an eye moments. Whereas I saw this wonderful individual and I said, you know what, she works at an international school. Therefore, I know and believe that she has so many different insights and revelations that can, that can help the world in general. So I reached out to this wonderful individual on LinkedIn and then all of a sudden we are going back and forth with the amount of energy that was being exchanged. And here she is today. A wonderful and a wonderful big welcome to you, honey. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Thank you for this opportunity. It's a Absolutely. pleasure. Absolutely. And I'm just so grateful. Like this is, again, a podcast without borders and to provide guidance and to provide so many different things and especially what we're going to talk about today. That's what it's all about. So give these people a rundown of who you are. Great. So uh, my name is Hanina Abuzir, and I live in Jordan. When I was a child, I was born and raised in Chicago. Then after a couple of years, when I was in grade three, my family moved to Amman, Jordan, where I currently am here now. Uh, we moved several times between Jordan and Canada, till finally I came here. Uh, I studied at the University of Jordan. I studied foreign languages, English and Italian. I graduated and I've been working as an English teacher for around four years now. I teach kids primary and I also teach adults as like English as second language students. I prepare them for general English, English conversation and IELTS. I'm currently working on teacher training courses to help out, you know, to fill in the gap in the teacher and the education that we have here in Jordan. And that's our huge focus today. And just to go back again for everyone out there, we're looking right here at an amazing TOEFL instructor, IELTS instructor. If at any point throughout this year, I get completely overwhelmed with the amount of students that are beginning to reach out to me, I'm going to be like, hey, Hadeen, hey, I think, uh, you know, me and you, team, team, what do you think? But yeah, anyways, man, so <laughs> grateful. I'm so grateful to... Uh, you know, to, again, the whole certification process and everything, which obviously we talked about off camera, but I'm even more amazed. Oh my goodness. We're talking English. We're talking Italian. We're talking Arabic. Oh, tell me, walk me through the process because listen, born and raised. Okay. Obviously in Las Vegas, I remember the video cassette tape used to pop into the VCR flesh. This is you know, how we learned our Spanish back in 1995, 1996. Was it good? Hell no. Okay. My mom could have taught me Spanish, but she told me to learn in school and they gave me that. You went from America, went to Amman, learned Italian along the way and whatnot. Tell us about that huge blend in between those three languages. It's amazing. Of course. All right. So we all know that Arabic is not an easy language. And even though I, I lived in America, my parents really focused on learning Arabic as a language because it's part of our identity, our background. So outside uh, home, I would go and, you know, interact in English, go to school in English. But at home, my parents used to teach me Arabic um, and religion. So 
in home, yes, of course, in Arabic is my second language, but I do blend between Arabic and English because English is my first language. But my parents still focus on learning Arabic as it is part of our identity. And it's very important that even if you live in America, you need to learn your language. So when I came back to Jordan, okay, my Arabic wasn't perfect. I had my times and people still remember my stories about my mistakes in language. But during the time I learned Arabic and I kept on working on myself, of course, with the help of my parents. When I entered university, I really did not want to study Italian, to be honest. That's the honest truth. I wanted to study uh, English literature or graphic design, but apparently I got accepted. Yeah, I got accepted in this course or in this major. So I was like, okay, let me, let me give it a try. So the first semester, um, it was really interesting. I, I rarely knew the word hello in Italian. So when I started learning Italian, I realized that it's a very beautiful language. And as a person that to have the talent to learn languages, I wanted to grasp this opportunity. So I had the talent to learn a new language and I continued learning Italian and Italian literature. I sometimes practice it now with Italian friends, but you know, in, in Jordan, we don't have a lot of Italian. So I'm back to, let's say square one in Italian, but I'm, I'm working on it. Wow. So again, going back to, in America, did you, you said being in America, you still had to hone in on your language. So Arabic, how did you learn that out there in America? Well, I'm guessing you learned only the basics or? Yeah, basic, the basics usually. We had these uh, schools in America, they're Arabic schools. They were open mm. on Sunday. We used to go almost every Sunday and learn Arabic and religion. And my parents would help out more. At home, we would wow. read stories together in Arabic, or my dad would teach me some verses, and my mom, my mom is an Arabic teacher, so she knows. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, hey, there it is right there. You already got a teacher in the household. Man, that's awesome. Two teachers, my mom oh. and my dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. A family of teachers, man. It's kind of like me coming from a family of music, you know? And so, oh. yeah, I'm telling all of us, except my youngest student, you know, I was a baritone player, my brother played the drums, I wish he would have maximized those skills because he was easily the best in America at snare drums and different things. And my sister played the clarinet. So it was like, we were always brought up around that music, especially being born and, you know, throughout the nineties being the decade of music and stuff. So, yeah. Wow. So what, what I find very interesting is when you got back to Jordan, your English, um, I'm not exactly sure what school you went into, but I'm going to give you a circumstance Whereas I talked to, I was talking to a boy right now, this boy and his mother, his father, apparently is French, went back to France. He didn't have a legitimate first language. So again, his English was good, but it's, he, you know what I mean? He wouldn't go for a passable English language student at a public school in America. His tie was the same. So how were you able, again, being born in America, you got the English, still learning the Arabic, then you went to Jordan, and then it reversed. So you focused primarily on Arabic, but what about English? How did you continue practicing that? And so, yeah, I'm very interested in that. Awesome. So we were born as readers. I'm usually a bookworm. So I kept on reading in English. I had amazing English teachers at school. So they really focused on that. 
And my parents understand that my Arabic is still in English. Uh, my Arabic is still like a second language. So they would still speak with me in English. And I kept on working on it. My, my siblings would speak English at home or with my parents sometimes. We blended English and Arabic, but it was only like mainly focusing on English. So I did not lose the accent. I did not lose the basics, but it kept on, it stayed as a first language. You know, it goes back to a child as a brain development. The first language that the brain acquires, it stays within the person um, in a perfectly state. So when I learned Arabic, Arabic is not going to be the same as English. I'm fluent in Arabic. I understand I can speak and read and write, but not as perfect as English. Man, okay. And when did you start picking up Italian? How were you able to integrate that in with two other languages? <laughs> oh God, Italian. <laughs> I had like, oh, I like I told you, I knew nothing about Italian. My first year in university was really funny. I put myself in a lot of funny situations in learning Italian. <laughs> but I got to learn it. We learned, we learned the basics, the letters, the numbers, and some words, how to introduce yourself. So it, it's like baby steps. It's always baby steps in the beginning. And then we went into deep literature. <laughs> oh, man. So would you say you're like a fluent, you're fluent speaking in Italian? Is that what you? Uh, I'm not going to say fluent. Like in some aspects, yes, but not in every. Like I can, I can speak until, like, say, a limit. And then I can't speak anymore. I stopped. <laughs> Because I don't have that much vocabulary. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Like, I tried speaking with Italians. They think that I'm fluent. And they start speaking quickly in Italian. I'm like, whoa, just calm down. I'm not, I'm not that. <laughs> it's this hard. This is the same thing that happens with Spanish speakers. Like, you know, it's, it's like a joke that Trevor Noah had said about him speaking Spanish. I don't know where it was, but let's say in some uh, Central American country. Then they start picking up the rate at which they're saying the words. And then he switches to English to say, I'm sorry, no, I, I'm so, I, I don't understand anything you just said. You know, and he's like, it, it, they pick it up very quickly, like even in Thai. I live here in Thailand. You could give me the basic questions, but if you just say about three sentences of, oh, blah, 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 and then look at me, I'm going to say, listen, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what you just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> that right. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what type of school is it that you went straight into out there in Jordan when you went there? Like, were you like right off at an international school? Because obviously you being in teaching at what now, it, where did you start at when you first got there? Because again, that going into that, that's going to be a huge, there's like a discrepancy in between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I came here, actually, my parents took me to a national school. It's not international. It's, an, it's a national school where um, we learn Arabic, but we do have English. But the English that I had in my school was very strong, the curriculum. So English, my parents, yes, they took me to a national school, but they were very focusing on English language, how they teach it, because they really wanted the they wanted us to keep our language and the accents from America. So yes, I, I learned in a national school where Arabic was the first language, but also English there, they taught it in a very strong way. The curriculum was excellent and the teachers were amazing. So I, they actually balanced between English and Arabic at that time at school, which was amazing. Wow. Um, but it you was know, well, hard did... at first. How? <laughs> it was How really was it hard? hard at first. Oh, my mom would actually, when, when I had an exam and I had, for example, a social studies in Arabic, oh my God, we would stay up till 12 a.m. And she was just like, 
reading the, the text in Arabic and translating it for me in English. I'm like, mom, why am I learning this? I don't want to. <laughs> it was really hard at first to cope uh, with the whole education system, but we managed. I like, I graduated in the end high school with an average of 94. So yeah, I worked it wow. out. Yeah. Uh, and did you, uh, okay, so from the American, you know, from an American spec, uh, perspective, man, I've read so many things online, I'm just getting brainwashed. You know, there was a joke that said, hey, if you're Asian, you don't have to write, and this is an Asian guy, you know, someone from Asia, whatever, I guess an Asian American living in America, right? They said, you don't have the right to choose your career, it's your parents. And it's so funny, it's actually a bad joke, but it's kind of like, well, I mean, if you look at- It's a bit true, it's a bit true. Like, I'm not trying to generalize, but yes, it is true. All parents want their, um, their children to be doctors, lawyers, engineers all of it <laughs> right and so then from your family and from you know the culture you're brought up in did your mothers give you a little bit of free will or is that why you ended up becoming a teacher or was that a route that you wanted to take going into university how was that that's a really that's a really nice question actually when I was uh, in university and I was trying to seek my path and my career path I was like no way not in a million years am I ever going to be a teacher I don't want to be a teacher. I never thought that I had a teaching skill or anything. But when I was in university, I used to give lessons for, for students. We used, I used to give them and teach them English. So everybody was like, wow, you should be a teacher. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't like it. I, I never had at school a favorite teacher. That's why I never thought about it as a nice thing or a nice career. But I started as a part-time job to teach English, and I realized, especially that I was teaching kids, that we can start adding activities and creativity. So I found it really fun, and a lot of people were giving me good comments. So I was like, okay, looks like I am really good at teaching. I started to believe in myself more, that it, maybe this is where I'm meant to be. But as I grew more in the aspect of teacher and education, I started to develop my teaching skills and t- taking uh, teacher training courses. I knew that teacher training courses was like a whole different world. It was amazing. And that explained to me why I didn't have a a favorite teacher at school, because I realized that teachers aren't that much trained here in Jordan. We lack this training. We lack individuality, creativity. So I decided to move more into this aspect so I can actually give back to the education system that we have in Jordan. Like it's time to actually give real teacher training courses to develop our teachers because we do have teachers who have potential, but they lack the training. How come students don't like school or they don't like a specific topic or a specific uh, subject? It's a teacher who actually makes them a little bit more. And I've seen that. I like you can get comments from students, especially those young grade three students that I teach. They're so amazing when they come and tell you, Chris, I love you. I love English or they start reading the story that we're taking and they start preparing. You realize that you do have a positive impact on them. And I know that you know as much as teachers that sometimes one word from the teacher can like influence a lot in a student. So being a teaching teacher is this kind of positivity and motivation does really have a good impact on our students. And this is what I really want to teach uh, and train our teachers here. That's why I'm moving more into the teacher training sector and with the side teaching as well. Wow, man, that is so amazing. Uh, you just taking that up and wow, like 
get in the discipline to say, I'm going to take a few more courses and this is going to open a pathway to an even more bigger life mm-hmm. assignment is what we would coin this, you know? And saying, mm-hmm. like, again, you said that teachers, they, they lack the training. So the different types of schools out there in Jordan, comparing an international school teacher, let's say in grade three, same grade, you know, as you, uh, versus perhaps a public school teacher who teaches English, what, like, how different is it? Like, uh, and why is it so different? Because again, Thailand, international schools, 30,000 US dollars a year. Government schools, 100 US, uh, 100 US dollars per six months. So $200 a year. But you see the amount of, okay, this student is going to end up not amounting to anything because the, 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 the narrow-mindedness and the perception that they were brought up in and the influence and the geographical influence of these blueprints, it ends up believing, oh, I'm only this, I only amount to this. But international schools, it's just a complete broad spectrum. So what do you think? Yes. Um, it's very similar to what we have here. Like, yes, I teach at international school and it's part from the school itself to train their teachers. So I do receive training every once in a while during the year, during the summer. During induction week, mostly because as a school and international schools, they really focus on the quality of the teachers. And it's their responsibility to also teach the train the teachers to, you know, to cope with all the changing that happens every year and the students and the mentalities. But when it comes to public schools in Jordan, which is actually um, really they need a lot of focus on. Teachers, I, I don't think that they receive the same training as an international school teacher receives. Because um, public schools here in Jordan are not as facilitated as private schools. And we all know that. So even the teachers themselves, pay-wise, they don't get that much paid in public school as much in a private school, like or an international school. So it differs. Payment differs. Educational system differs. Material-wise curriculum. So when it comes to training, you can rarely find a teacher in a public school that really does have that motivation and potential to work a lot for the teacher from her heart, as they say, to bring out that uh, creativity. And um, so it's not just because they, don't, they lack the training, but also we have teachers, not just in public schools, but also in international schools that change for them is different. They, they, they like to stick to the old traditional way of teaching. So when you want to give them the change, sometimes they don't accept it. So it's hard. You're like, okay, I've been teaching this way for like all this, all these years and you want me to change now? They don't feel comfortable in the changing. So this transfer is hard. It needs time. Like I mentioned before that it's like you're uprooting the whole system and changing it completely. So it's not, it's not easy. It needs a lot of work. And like they say that education is a weapon. If you use it wisely, you can use it for your for your for your side in a good way. So if we actually do prepare teachers, they can have a really good influence on the next generation. You want to know what you're going to leave behind you after that. So education is a very, let's say, strong power that a strong weapon that we need to use it wisely. What are some ways that you could begin to start chipping? Like like okay, like establishing programs for or voluntary programs for teachers who want to better themselves on, you know, out of school hours, like, how would you go about doing that? Because again, the, the apprehension that you would probably be facing and that drawback is like, no, I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing this. No, no, no. I've been doing this. You can't tell me what to do. 
But then there will be a couple who are probably open to different ways. Mm -hmm. So do you train the teachers who are teaching now or do you train the teachers for the future? It's kind of scary, right? I, I, it is. I actually teach. I really um, look forward to teaching both. Actually, why not both? You teach now so you can make a change now. You want to see some change. You want to see a development and you train teachers for the future because you want people to grasp this. And in the future, there's a lot of things that are going to change. This is my idea. This is my belief, but people are going to see it from their perspective and act the way they want. Now, for me, I did start actually with teacher training courses. I recently started with um, a center where we're going to teach uh, teachers train them in, well, we're focusing mainly on private schools, but once I grasp the whole concept and I practice it a lot, I'm going to try and um, change and focus on public schools, but I need to study it more so I can see how I can actually reach public schools and their teachers. So what I'm basically, my material is focusing on, which is very important because I teach primary and I see um, young students, how they react in class. I'm focusing on neuroscience, brain development with language acquisition altogether. It's very important that at a young age, teachers focus on the brain development of a child. That yes, you're teaching this child, but let's keep on the creativity because the brain development is, is amazing. And there's a lot of aspects that we need to shed the light on for teachers to know that when you're teaching a child, you need to use the correct phrases, the correct approaches, because you don't want to stop and let's say limits their creativity in a child's brain. So I did a lot of study in this aspect and I found many approaches and I really want to practice this, um, this new sector in my life. So this is still the beginning, beginning. This is my first step. There's a long way for me uh, to take until I actually reach my goal and reach public schools in rural, rural areas, not just in the capital of Amman. I want to reach other um, places around Jordan. Wow. And so uh, it, it, just to touch up on what you said about the brain development with children and whatnot, establishing that creativity. And I remember you were talking about the blended technology, the international school curriculum, um, even being at some of the biggest international schools out here in Bangkok. I remember talking to one of the directors while he was taking me throughout the school and showing me, I was just in complete awe, seeing like 50 different nationalities in one room. These are 50 individuals who will be open to everything and forever you know and that's what's just so amazing about that and so he told me Arsenio we don't teach grammar for the first four years I don't know leading up from kindergarten up to I don't know uh third uh, first grade I can't remember I think it's when before first grade all they do is allow children to come to play that's all they do yeah. to play and so Grammar isn't even taught in most international schools. I teach an international school student. He doesn't learn grammar. They learn in specific systems. And again, it feels like the creativity is more, it, there's more emphasis on creativity than all the academic stuff. What kind of methodologies do you guys do over there? Because again, a, an array of you know, nationalities that teach there. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I understand your, your idea here. Yes, we do have this system here in Jordan. It's called the IB system, where we usually focus on primary students on creativity. And they find it with, um, as a teacher, you need to prepare activities more than use, using books. But these, this system is used in some schools specifically. 
In my school, no, we don't do that. We have books, we have a curriculum, we need to follow the curriculum. So it differs from one school to another. In my school, yeah, we do teach students grammar. They have to learn grammar, in a, let's say, but they repeat the same grammar rules um, in the first primary years until they grasp the idea correctly. But when it comes to vocab and um, reading comprehension wise, every year they learn a different uh, story, which is beautiful. I love the stories that we teach. But in other schools, like let's say public schools, they don't. In public schools, they really focus on grammar that when they graduate, yeah. and, I, and I teach them in centers right now as um, English as second language students, and grammar wise, they are perfect. They know the grammar, but when it comes to using the grammar, um, applying it in, let's say, productive skills like writing and speaking, they can't because they didn't learn productive oh. skills. So this is what differs from one, one school to another. And we have many systems here. So like I, like I said before, English here in Jordan is a second language. Even though that we have international schools, English is still considered a second language because once you leave the educational domain, around you in the society, people don't, like you're going to interact with people who don't speak English. And it's known here in Jordan that if you speak to, let's say, a stranger, like um, a cashier at the supermarket or um, a help assistant, it's not, it's not nice to speak with them in English because not a lot of people have the same level in English. They consider it impolite. So I really focus that it's nice that schools learn English. It's perfect. I love that to learn a language, but also I want the families and parents to not um, to not less the focus on Arabic as well, because students need to learn the Arabic. This is their identity. This is who they are. And once they leave school, they're not going to go and practice English. They're still living in Arab society. They need to still focus on the Arabic. So I hope that one day that they can um, understand the equal and equalize, let's say, English and Arabic, that they are both important languages, not just English. It's Arabic as well. It's nice and it's not easy to learn. So if you know Arabic, I believe that you should be proud of yourself because it's not an easy language. Right, man, that's such a good point because I feel like there are so many people out there who they're, they're, they're kind of just letting go of their native language. I've heard it um, uh, probably over the last month. Uh, some of the Thai students not focusing on their Thai language and although they should have that. And so there's the blend. Again, going back to the blend, how and you being able to blend it and obviously you being from a family of teachers, but it must be real difficult to be able to blend the two of them. I've never really, you know, asked questions to some of the Mexican families that were in my neighborhood and I went to school with. Uh, even, you know, my friend, um, him being Filipino, being born in Hawaii, but his parents were immigrants from the Philippines. And hearing his mother always speak Tagalog and his father speak Tagalog, they didn't have a great grasp of the English language. I mean, God, I, I don't, it, it's, ah, you know, my mom, she's fluent in Spanish and fluent in English, but I never learn Spanish. I never really took it serious, you know? And so looking and going back to you, that blend and society, yes, put in the Arabic being that number one English, but the blend, I mean, uh, oh boy. How, okay. So at your international school, the curriculum, how does it work? You got, I think you have teachers from all these different countries. Does the children just pick a language and how are they able to put that together in a curriculum on a weekly basis, like from a student perspective? So from a student perspective, yeah, sometimes we have students from all around the world in a, one classroom or from different nationalities, but we end up like learning a curriculum where in English they learn, let's say 
all the skills when it comes to writing and reading and story-wise vocabulary. They learn it. They learn science. They learn math. All of it is in English. But when it comes to um, Arabic, they only learn Arabic in, in Arabic class or in social studies in Arabic. They learn religion uh, okay. also in Arabic. Yeah. So gotcha. in Arabic, they use it. They use it in specific um, classes. But outside uh, with teachers, like with me, no, I only speak with them in English. Math teachers only in English. Yeah. So Arabic is only with Arabic teachers or religion teachers, even outside um, the classroom, like in the playground or the cafeteria, you, you hear students talking to each other in English and coming to talk to you in English, even if they saw you outside school for them. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I can speak Arabic. I do speak Arabic, but when they see me even outside school, if they see me talking with their parents, with parents, I talk sometimes in Arabic because their parents, not all of them have the same English. But even though that child sees me speaking in Arabic for them, no, you're still my English teacher, so I'm going to speak with you in English. So randomly, mm. they speak with you only in English. I see. Oh, man, that's real. <laughs> and that, yeah, I kind of get that, too, because sometimes I speak too much Thai, or it could be just a passerby or someone who's taking me from point A to point B, and he's trying to speak English, and I'm speaking Thai, and, and if I speak English... It seems like he doesn't understand. So I go back to Thai. He responds in English. I'm like, stick with one. So, you know, it just gets crazy. You know, just, yeah. oh, just frustrated and whatnot. But then there's the technological aspect. Now that we're mm -hmm. living in a very innovative world, blending mm -hmm. technology, how much do you blend? And me, I'm getting ready to like uh, go all in on the whole AR and VR world mm -hmm. because I know that this is just the beginning. And if I were to invest in like education technology in the VR realm down the road, it's going to be like ready player one all over again, the movie, if you haven't watched it, but yeah. Um, so blended technology, um, again, in America, book, 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 universities, lecture, 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 hand on your face, head slanted over. You got all this going on. You're all strained out. I don't see much, but in Singapore, it's completely different. They focus on the core genius. So how do you blend technology or how is it that you can blend technology to, to provide more for children? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really good question because due to COVID, we were all put in a situation where you need to use technology. <laughs> yeah. We were especially that okay in the beginning when people when we were in lockdown and students were at home taking the classes. Yes, at first it was a nice experience. Like, yay, we're using a tablet. Um, we have our ebooks in front of us. It's a new experience. But after a couple of weeks, students started to get bored. And we were getting bored as teachers using the same, just a tablet and the ebooks, and you are talking and the students are just listening. You can rarely have this interaction. So it's a really nice way that since we're using technology now, I'm not a really big fan of technology. I love books. I love the smell of books. <laughs> I love writing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh -huh. I, that, since technology now is in a development, it's really smart to use it with your educational purposes. But I don't like to use it like more than 40% in my classes because it's still learning. Like use technology to add activities, to make more interaction, especially that here in Jordan, students are still at home. We are the teacher, we're still teaching and we're still using technology and that, okay, how can I make my lesson more interactive? How can I make students um, focus with me? How do I know that my student is actually listening to me on the other side of the tablets? 
because some of them just log in and then you call their name, they call their name, they're not even there. So you know they're, they're not listening. How can I make sure that at least, let's say 85% of them are interacting with me in class? So what's nice is that you can Google a lot of um, online games, like there's a Wheel of Fortune game you can play with the students. Um, sometimes I divide them into um, breakout rooms. Um, once we played with my ESL students, my adult students, we played Jeopardy. Uh, there, there are a lot of games that you can, but it needs a lot of preparation. And it's, mm. it's actually time consuming, but it's, it's nice that you can add the creativity. Even when the students come back to school, we still add the technology in our classroom from videos, visual aids, um, games. So it's nice to still use the technology, even if the students are back. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that dude, that's awesome. Again, Jeopardy, Will of Fortune. Never really thought about that. Thank you very much. Uh, and so me, I'm, I'm just like all scrabble. I'm all vocabulary. But now that you give me more ideas, I'm like, okay, with this type of, okay, we'll do this. Okay. Let's try to put this in grammar and context and, you know, revert this. To that. You know, I just have so many things that go off in terms of me and how I, oh, yeah, I like for me, when it lessons. comes to, when it comes to activities, I'm, I'm like a really big fan of activities. I love adding them. Like, especially for, let's say English as second language students, my adult students, there's always a book. I tell my, uh, my coordinator, I'm like, please, I don't want to use the book. Like, I use it for a syllabus, but when it comes to activities, I'm like, I have a lot of ideas. I had, like, ideas like escape the room. I had, um, they had to solve a crime scene. And all of this leads to the language input that we're going to learn. So students are really interested. They'd be like, okay, now what? What are we going to do today? <laughs> are we going to stay in the classroom? Are we going to go outside? What's today? So every day it's like, it's like an adventure. It's amazing. Dude, that's awesome. See, that's what it's about. You know, this is, again, you know, being on this video with you and this podcast, wherever anyone's watching this, this is why me being able to connect with different people from around the world gives me ideas and I'm able to compound on top of those ideas. That's the beauty of sharing this type of knowledge and whatnot. Um, wow. So, Okay, man, what, what, what a foundation that we've laid, like in terms of you being able to learn the languages and still practice it and the activities you do and your overall huge life work and what you're committed to. And be, before I end this one, I wanted to ask you, why TOEFL, why IELTS? Why IELTS? Well, here in Jordan, we have a lot of students or um, let's say colleagues who want to travel for immigration or for let's say um, upper studies like masters or PhD. So it's required that they take the IELTS. So here, a lot of students, they get afraid when I tell them IELTS, they don't, they're like, okay, what should I do? How can I prepare? Where, how, much, how much practice do I need? They get really scared. So when I took the IELTS, I took the exam and I took the course and I'm like, okay, it's not that big of a deal, guys. All you need is commitments and practice. You need to, um, develop on your skills. It's not that scary as people see. So what's nice is that when I have a student who comes to me, he's like, I need a score of six and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. What books? I got all of these Cambridge books from one to 12. I'm practicing every day. I'm like, whoa, calm down. So I'm like, okay, I, I give him the simple things. We start step by step. He was like, that's it. Like, yes, that's it. It's step by step. It's all about practice. Let's do this. Let's do that. So when they see it, when you simplify it for them, because here mm. they really complicate things. When you simplify it to them, yes. you tell them, okay, it is a big deal. I know you want to get a high mark, but you need to take it easy. 
Because when you feel comfortable with it, when you realize that, okay, you, all you need is just to practice some skills, let's find your points of weaknesses. Let's find where you're good at. Let's balance between them. So th this is how it is. It takes step by step because uh, it's really required here in Jordan, the IELTS, more than TOEFL. So I took it more into this sector and I realized that a lot of people come back to me when they want to um, take the exam and I help them out a lot, especially during COVID here. A lot of people got affected, let's say financially wise, um, and they can't right. afford to pay for preparation courses. So I offered for them, if you guys need any help, I am here. And of course, free of charge, because sometimes when you just help someone and you are the reason for, if you're like, let's say part of their success, it means a lot. I had a mm -hmm. student, he needed um, a six for a master's degree in Australia. I helped him out a lot and he actually got six and a half and he mm. got accepted in the University of Queensland until now we're still in contact because he's so proud of himself he's like I I'm here okay yes with your with my um, effort but you had a reason you had a part in my success where I am today so receiving this positive feedback from people really um, brightens your day some things that you know you don't need I don't like and when it comes to teaching I honestly don't put the financial wise in front of me the first thing because teaching and giving to people what they need and receiving this positive feedback means a lot. That's why I love teaching kids because they, they start giving you these small notes where teacher, I love you. Mr. The best. I love English. You see that these uh, messages are really from the heart. So this, yeah. I, I actually have like all this box with all those small little notes from kids. You know, they just rip anything from their small notebook and they write any note before you leave the class and they give it to you. <laughs> so you know that this means a lot for them, even though it's just a small crumbled paper, <laughs> but I keep them because they do brighten your day. So this positive feedback is what actually makes me be a teacher. It's amazing. And it's that's it, it. Oh man. That's so amazing. I just like doing it. For the sake of doing it some people they need that instant gratification some people need that instant monetary gain but they're not in it for the long run they're not in it for the process like when i had become a teacher and even when i started this podcast like was i getting anything from this podcast no i was just literally paying every month every month every month and you know i would continue just getting you know uh and I would just get nothing except, you know, there are podcast places. And then, of course, it ended up blowing up. And I finally started getting people coming in and saying, could you help me? Could you help me? But um, I love the fact that you developed into a passion. This is a passion for you. I see a lot of teachers here in Thailand. I see it in their eyes. They're defeated. In America, they're defeated. You don't feel that. Not all of them. Not all of them. But the ones that know who they are, they know, right? And it, they just don't wake up with that burning desire for change. And you do. You're going so far to the point that you want to change those public systems, just as I want to help rural schools and villages out there across the Central and South Americas. So, man, that's why I'm just so unbelievably grateful. Um, you know, and you just continuing to better yourself and to learn and to train and to do things mm -hmm. that will benefit all of Jordan. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to see. Thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, this appreciation is what really makes uh, teachers take the extra mile. In a, in a school or in the center that I teach, you always see that there's someone 
in this organization that when they see that you're developing yourself, they give you the appreciation. They tell you you're good, you're amazing, good job. So these small words, these acts of kindness, they actually can make more teachers, let's say, better and happier when they see that people appreciate them. So when you find this appreciation, this appreciation is actually part of the motivation which makes teachers take the extra mile, not just for the students as on a first base, but also for the organization that they work in. Mm. Yeah. Boom. Just, oh man, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey in general. All these amazing, and I hope a lot of people got some of these cues and, you know, in regards to, you know, IELTS and TOEFL, breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, being able to develop that passion into, you know, into something even bigger and greater for all of humanity. That's exactly what you have. And that's why I said, man, I must reach out. And I'm just so grateful that I brought you on here, Hadith. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. I loved it. It's amazing. Like talking to you is amazing. Thank you for embracing <laughs> our day. It's amazing to meet you actually virtually. It's an amazing opportunity. It's my pleasure to be part of your podcast. It's amazing. I never thought <laughs> one in a million I would ever be here. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Amazing. I know you probably got the message. You were like, wait, what? Podcast? What's going on here? Because again, it's kind of like person? my... Yeah. <laughs> 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 so oh man and again it's just like that intuition and again when i see something i'm like okay i feels a really good energy and aura around here okay let me reach out sometimes they're like ah and then sometimes boom it's gold 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 and so being able to share that message and inspire a lot of people out there in jordan too it means all the difference in the world and around the world in general so oh with that being said, Hadith, thank you so much for coming on to my You're podcast. Welcome. You're most welcome. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And guys, if you enjoyed it, please like and share it, rate it, whatever it may be. And again, <laughs> so, so grateful for all of you who have listened. Stay tuned for more. We have a heck of a lot more coming over and out.